The teaching for this evening is based on Matthew 12, 38-42. This is God's word. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with the generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as always, it's a gift and a privilege to be with you. Uh, Miles said, my name is Bill Boyd. I serve at Covenant Presbyterian Church over the mountain. And I uh, know many of you, and it's, uh, for me, it's always fun and um, nourishing to my soul to be able to uh, worship here. Uh, I was friends with Steve Malone, good friends, friends with Tom Cannon, friends now with Will uh, Spokes, uh, friends with many of your elders and others. And so uh, it really is a privilege to gather tonight. Uh, Will moved yesterday and had some kind of stomach thing going on. And uh, when he called me and told me that, I said, that is a bad double blow right there. Um, So uh, let me pray for us briefly before we look at this text for a few minutes. Father, I do thank you for gathering us tonight. Uh, We do pray for Will and his family as they transition to a new home. Bless them and keep them. Please heal him. We pray for those who are not able to be here tonight for a variety of reasons. Please uh, guard them, bless them, keep them wherever they are. Uh, Father, please open our hearts that we not only will be hearers of your word, but that we may be doers of your word. We pray these things in the name of Christ Jesus, our King. Amen. Um, So quick introduction that will roll into a story that will have a point to it. I'm 48 years old. Uh, My wife is a little bit younger than that. We have four children. We actually, as of this year, have a freshman at the University of Mississippi. That's the Princeton of the South. Um, We uh, have a 10th grader, boy, boy. Then we have a 6th grade girl. And then we have a 1st grade boy. So I'm that guy. I am now that guy who on the soccer field look around and I look at some of the parents and go, oh, I'm old enough to be your parent. Um, That said, I still feel relatively young. So a few nights ago, I uh, stopped at um, the Piggly Wiggly over in Mountain Brook and uh, grabbed something to eat for Martha and me. We were going to cook out on the grill and a bottle of wine and going up to check out, and I see this uh, older but beautiful woman who's just sitting there smiling and, and just think, I'm going to check out with her. She just looks like she's happy to be here. And I said to her, I said, you just look happy to be here. And she said, uh, she said you know, I don't, I don't like being sad. It's a lot easier to be happy than to be sad. And I just try not to be sad. I said, that's a, a wonderful thing. And she quickly checks me out, and um, as she... Uh, as I'm, you know, dealing with the 
keypad thing and all. I see her hand go to this bag, this stack of orange cellophane bags. And um, it happened so quickly, I wasn't even, you know, sure exactly what was happening, but she has those, her hand in those bags, and she looks at me, and she says, hey, would you like some of these for your grandchildren? And I said, uh, and she, I think she saw that it kind of took, and she was, said, for your grandchildren, you know, do you need some of these? And I said, uh, are they free? And she said, yeah. I said, I'll take two. Um, because my mother says that my fourth child is our first grandchild. Um, and I thought she has no idea what she just did to me, you know, um, because Martha is always calling and saying when she goes to buy wine at Trader Joe's, guess what? I got carded, you know? And so I called her and I said, guess what? I got the opposite of carded. So, um, now, uh, tonight we're looking at a passage and we're dealing with a situation that was actually pretty common for Jesus, and that is the Jewish leaders are failing to understand who he is completely, you know? And in one sense, this lady fails to understand my age, you know, no big deal. Um, but the Jewish leaders here, they're actually failing to understand who Jesus is, and they've been able to see him and hear him, you know, interact with him. A lot has gone on. And what's happening here is kind of the one more thing deal, you know, or just one more time. If you have young children, you know, you know that it's kind of like time to go, and they're like, well, just one more game. You know, you're like, okay, one more game. Just one more game, and just one more game. And my six-year-old likes to play. We play a horse inside the house with a Nerf goal, and we'll play one game and when the game's over he'll be like always no it's two out of three and I was like no one said two out of three he said yeah they did like that's the way we play you know and and that's what the Jewish leaders are doing to Jesus it's just well how about one more thing well hey how about two out of three you know like there's always got to be more and So we read here in Matthew 12 that some of the scribes and Pharisees say to him, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Now look, they've already seen all kind of stuff, and they've heard all kind of stuff. Furthermore, let's remember this. They're students of the Old Testament. Like, a lot of them have the book of Isaiah memorized. They should know. Jesus is showing up. And people are reporting that there are folks who are blind who are seeing. There are folks who are dumb who are beginning to speak. There are folks, you know, who've never been able to walk and they're walking. Poor people, the fringes of society, they're flocking to him. This is like the fulfillment of all these Old Testament prophecies. And all they have to say is, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Which means what? Are they really wanting to see a sign? No. This is an act of condemnation. Teacher, let us see a sign from you. Because in their minds, he's a forest, you know. But he answered them, You've got to remember, Jesus says some things that are just kind of hard to swallow sometimes. <clears throat> An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now again, these are not 
the average Joe on the street, right? The Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus. Jesus doesn't deal with her this way. These are biblical scholars. And Jesus says, I mean, how many do you need in essence? Nothing will be given to you. But the sign of Jonah, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But then he adds this. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she traveled over, she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something far greater than Solomon is here. I don't know about you, but I have begun to recognize that a lot of times um, this feeling will well up in me that I need more or I need something new or something additional to kind of make me happy. Part of what Jesus is saying to the Jewish leaders here is something that applies to you and me in every realm of life, and that is this. God has already provided what you need. In essence, that's what Jesus is saying to the Jewish leaders. You keep looking for something else, something more. God has provided what you need. I worked in fundraising uh, for a seminary that actually Miles and I serve on the board of, Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis. And the the job I had at the seminary when I was a student was the assistant to the director of development. Those are the people who raise money. And the guy who trained me for the job, it was just this incredible day I spent with him. And the main thing I remember is this. He said, look, he said, I love raising money. Because I'm convinced this is a good thing for people to support. And he said, giving is a blessing. And so often people who have means don't know what to do with it, and I have the, the opportunity to give them a thing, not the only thing, but a thing to do with their money that will actually be good for them. He, he said, this is the other thing I've learned about fundraising. He said, everyone thinks that if you're in the fundraising business, the best thing you can do is befriend a billionaire, and then you can hit it big. You know, you can, as a friend of mine in Austin used to put it, you can put the harpoon in the big whale, you know, and just rake it all in, right? And he said, that is so far from the truth. He said, this is the most wonderful thing about fundraising. It has nothing to do really with going out and harpooning the big fish. He says, the number one rule is this, what has God already provided that we just can't see right now? That's right. He says, The number one rule is look under your nose at what's already there. The Pharisees still think, and the teachers of the law, and 
the leaders in the community, that the Messiah is going to be someone who will kind of fit this interior expectation that they have of this ultimate religious slash political leader. And because of that, they fail to see what is right under their nose. And Jesus, in in colorful language and in biblical language, is saying to them, you don't understand, like, they're like fireworks going off in front of you, and you can't see them. Now, before we go further, I do think it's very helpful to lean into this principle because the further I get into life, I realize this principle literally applies to every single thing in life. You and I are put in situations every day where we're surprised. Someone either says something to you or maybe they ask you a question kind of expecting you to have something and you're taken off guard, and you know, and we don't know what to do. And uh, the principle always applies. The next time someone takes you off guard and you're tempted to defend yourself or you're tempted to like go to some heroic means to make the situation right, rather than doing that, stop, take a deep breath, and say, Lord, What have you already provided that's right under my nose? It's a very different approach to life. And I'll tell you this, it's real. Nothing ever comes our way that's a surprise to God. And the principle really does play itself out. Whatever has come our way... God's already provided for it. And one of the things we need to pray for is eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand, to be able to see with eyes of faith God's provision. And it almost never is the billionaire deal. It almost never is the flashy, flamboyant, you know, worldly, glittery kind of deal. It's usually something literally right under our nose that we just haven't taken very seriously. Here's another way to put the principle. The number one thing in this world is actually not to acquire new things. The number one thing for a Christian is to steward what God has given you already. Because what has God given you if you're a Christian? Everything. Everything you have is a gift from him. Everything you have, if stewarded, will produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times what is sown. And that's what Jesus is seeking to communicate right here to the Jewish leaders. He's saying, do you not understand? The queen of Sheba, who was a big deal, traveled hundreds of miles on camels and donkeys and horses and whatever else in order simply to catch a glimpse of Solomon's kingdom, do you realize that one 
far greater than Solomon is in your midst. The people of Nineveh, who were pagans, Jonah came and preached to them, and they repented in sackcloth and ashes. It's a joke to compare Jonah to Jesus. Don't get me wrong, it's a big deal to spend three days, three nights in the belly of a fish. But this is Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus, in one sense, is showing incredible self-control here, I think. Because what he's saying is, basically, he's not condemning them. What he's saying is, let me have a little Bible study with you here. That's the other truth of the matter that is... For you, and if you're someone who's been a Christian for a long time, or even if you're a new Christian, there can be this approach to the Christian life where you're constantly trying to get more. And don't get me wrong, there's something to regularly adding to what we know. But so much of learning to live as a Christian is revisiting what we already know or what we knew. Really, the Christian world is not about producing all these new things, kind of, the, you know, something you've never heard before, um, kind of a new riff on it. it. Most of it is remembering what we either have already known or what's been said to us and we just failed to grasp. But there's a beauty to that. There's a simplicity to that. That's part of what Jesus meant when he said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Now, if you turn back for a moment to the first passage that was read tonight, it was a related passage, this one from Luke chapter 24. Now, the passage that we just looked at from Matthew 12 is from the middle of Jesus' ministry, right? But the passage that was read from Luke 24 is from the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. And so at the end of Jesus' ministry, this is what Luke tells us near the very end of his gospel. Luke said, "These These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, in order that everything about me and the laws of Moses and the prophets, which includes Jonah, and the Psalms must be fulfilled, And then he opened their minds, meaning the disciples, to understand the scriptures and they and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. That's code language for the Holy Spirit, right? But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out as far as Bethany, where he had raised Lazarus. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Early in Jesus' ministry, there's a demand, and the demand was constant for him to prove himself. 
What we read in Luke 24 is after the proving has been done, and we see Jesus, of course, ascending into heaven, and the people are worshiping him. And we read that they continue to go to the temple worshiping him. Now, I want to read you one other passage. If you have your Bible, you can turn to it. It's Revelation chapter 5. You see, something happened in between Jesus' teaching about Jesus being asked for a sign and him telling them the sign of Jonah is all you're going to get. And then between Jesus opening his disciples' hearts so that they can understand the scriptures and then ascending to be into heaven. And you know this, what happened in between that was that Jesus was crucified. He was arrested. He was actually sold after a Passover meal, the Lord's Supper. He was sold by Judas into the hands of the authorities. He was jailed. There was a trial that was a mockery. And the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, given the opportunity, you know, to exchange you know, release Jesus for a prisoner and all these kind of things. Bottom line, everything goes south and Jesus ends up being crucified because they're yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And yet, that's not the end of the story. On the third day, Jesus rises from the grave. Mary Magdalene is the first person to see him. She thinks he's the gardener. Because he's so normal looking. Nothing. He's not bright and shiny. He just looks like a normal guy. And, and we read in Luke 24 that this normal guy appeared to his disciples and they didn't even recognize him at first. And then he opens their minds. They can understand the scriptures. And then he leads them out and he ascends to be in heaven. Revelation 5 reminds us why this is a big deal. Because all throughout the Gospels, what we are reading about is the hardness of hearts of people who see Jesus but don't understand from who he is. They hear stories about Jesus, but they're skeptical. They encounter Jesus, and some of them believe, but a lot of them, especially those who are in the church, They view Jesus as a threat to what they have. When Jesus ascends to be into heaven, I think Revelation 5 gives us kind of an idea of what is going on there. So let me read to you. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within, and on the back... Sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it 
And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. For behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. You know why Jesus didn't give the Jewish leaders a sign? They wouldn't have believed it. Jesus knew that what they needed was not a sign. They had been given signs. What they had needed was something far more powerful than a sign. The testimony of Revelation 5 is this. The word of God is present and it's sealed and no one can open it up. Meaning, no one can read it. No one can understand it. No one can get it. And that's a bad problem. And all of a sudden, one appears who says, I can open the seals. Meaning, I have the ability to open the human heart and to give people eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand who God is and the lengths he's willing to go to redeem his people. And the next thing we know, the heavenlies are full of praise and the chant is, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Without the Lamb of God, the Son of God, taking on flesh and being slain, you and I, at our very best, would simply be out there looking for another sign. Because we're no different than the Jewish leaders, except that they knew their Bibles better than we do. Without the blood of God's Son, you and I would be looking for the next trick 
You know, the next one-trick pony to kind of make us feel special for a little while so that we could just go on and keep looking after thing after thing after thing. The way of the world is looking for the next thing that hopefully will bring lasting joy this time, that hopefully will bring life this time, that will bring laughter, that will bring meaning, that will bring something. Without the blood of Jesus Christ, you and I have nothing And the flip side is this. With the blood of Jesus Christ, we have everything. Including the key, you might say, to understanding that what God has communicated in his word from beginning to end is good news once you see who it's about. Once you see that it's all about Not what we bring to the table, but what God is bringing to the table. That it's all about not what we do, but what God does. That it's not about what we need to supply, but what God has supplied and continues to supply. We begin to realize, oh, this isn't about us. This is about God. And how good he is to those made in his image. Karl Barth, German theologian, said this. Blew my mind first time I read it recently. You know, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we read about the creation of man in the image of God. And then Jesus comes taking on flesh, and he's the renewed image of God. He's the new Adam. He's the new Israel. This is what Barth said. He said, no one has ever seen the image of God, the representation of God for who God truly is until they have seen with eyes of faith God's son on the cross. Because it is the crucified son of God that is most purely God represented for who he is at the core of his being. That will make you say, worthy is the lamb. Because if the crucified son of God is who God is, if that is the truest image of God, that is God understood as well and as thoroughly as he will ever be understood, then what that means is this. We serve a God who understands justice, And is willing to make sure that the right thing is done even at his own expense. And we also at the very same time understand a God, have a God who understands mercy and will go to whatever length it takes to show mercy and judgment at the same time at his expense and to the benefit of those who are being renewed in his image. When Jesus says to the Jewish leaders, the only sign that will be given you is the sign of Jonah, what he's saying is this, if I told you what you needed, you wouldn't believe it. You're just going to have to wait to see. And of course, you and I live this side of the resurrection, this side of the ascension, this side of the giving of God's spirit. I want to encourage you 
If the image of God is best understood as his son crucified, and Jesus said to his disciples, take up your cross and follow me, you can be certain of this. When you are suffering, rightly or wrongly, and you feel that God is far from you because of that suffering, just go ahead and check that off as a lie from Satan. The suffering son of God, the suffering servant, Jesus himself, none of his sufferings were wasted. And you can be certain of this, none of yours will be either in Christ. The same God who used the sufferings of his son to produce justice and mercy will use the sufferings that you have the privilege of enduring for not just your own benefit, but for the benefit of others and for the building up of your own faith that you realize, wow, I have the privilege of sharing in the sufferings of my Savior who is worthy because of what he's done. In other words, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. And don't forget it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that through your word you are building us up. That we might learn what it means, Father, to persevere in this life. That we might learn what it means not simply to endure, but to endure with grace through faith all that comes our way because you have given us everything, even your son. Father, thank you for the privilege of taking up whatever crosses you give us and following you, knowing that the challenges we face day by day are simply opportunities for us to find anew the strength that you give us through your risen Lord and through the power of his Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for each person here tonight. I know that everyone here has things that if they were to look them straight in the eye would be simply overwhelming. And I pray, Father, that they would know that not only do you not desire to overwhelm them, but that through your Son you have destroyed sin and death and that you are with them and that in Christ nothing can separate them from you, nothing. So give us the grace, Father, not to go looking for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, but to discover and rediscover and rediscover again the wonder of who you are and what you have done for us through the blood of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.